Hi, I'm Melissa Corkum. I blog at our family website, www.thecorkums.com, which we affectionately call The Corkboard. This is the Uncorked Podcast, conversations with everyday extraordinary people, people who have conquered, people making a difference in their worlds, brave and beautiful people, but people who in the end are just like you and me. If there's one thing I've learned over the past 10 years, it's about how much I didn't know that I didn't know and how much I still don't know. Our experiences and adoption and loving kids who have aged out of the foster care system, living in the country but owning a coffee shop in the city, and just traveling internationally have so greatly expanded our horizons and shifted our paradigms. And hopefully we're better humans for it. The one common theme through all of those experiences though was just listening to people's stories. Patty Dye once said, the shortest distance between two people is a story. So pull up a chair and an open mind and meet another one of my everyday extraordinary friends. Welcome to episode 21 of the Uncorked podcast. This week, my guest is a new friend, Rena Rosen. Rena was nominated by Summer Kugel of episode 18. If you haven't had a chance to catch up with that episode, you'll definitely want to check it out. So Rena is the founder of Art of Compassion. It's an organization dedicated to a higher level of acceptance, appreciation, and understanding of physical differences among parents and children in our community. During our conversation, she shares about what it was like to grow up with a noticeable physical difference and how she's using her story to make the world a better place. And just like last week's guest, Jen, she shares how we can help our kids have appropriate encounters out in public with people who are different. Here's my conversation with Rena. Well, hi, Rena. Welcome to the Uncorked Podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, just start by introducing yourself to our audience, a little bit about who you are, what you do day to day. How do you identify yourself? I was born and raised in Chicago. I still live here. And full-time, I'm a preschool teacher. Aside from that, I really try and promote kindness and inclusion through advocacy and connecting with other people and through my Facebook and social media accounts and really just promoting what I believe and what I've experienced in life. That's beautiful. So where does that love for kindness and inclusion come from? Where did your passion for that really originate? So I was born with um, a craniofacial difference. Simply, I was born with a cleft lip and palate, but there were other craniofacial anomalies that were that came along with that. And growing up, I wasn't always seen in the light that I would have liked, not so much from friends and family, but really from the greater society and the public. And so as an adult now, looking back, I realize how important it is to teach children and adults how to properly include other people and accept and appreciate differences and really just value other people's uniqueness and see them for who they are and not their physical attributes. Because as a child, I really was only seen at face value instead of seeing who I really was. And so now I really try to teach that to my preschoolers as well as everyone I come in contact with, really. I can imagine that. So you're a little girl, you're walking around and you can probably feel the stares of people. Mm -hmm. Looking back, what would have been the most helpful thing that people in the public that you encountered that didn't know you and were experiencing you physically for the first time, and that was really all they had to go on? What do you wish their reactions would have been or what would have been more helpful? 
Um, I always said that, you know, smiling is always a great introduction and saying hello. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with the way that parents initiate the, the you know, conversation with other people, that children really, they sort of emulate what their parents do. So if their parents are exhibiting what is appropriate and saying hello and, you know, acknowledging your existence, I think a lot of it is not feeling like you belong. And so being stared at kind of makes you feel like an outcast. And so just acknowledging the fact that, you know, you're just like everyone else, you just look a little bit different. And so as a kid being stared at, all I wanted was a hello and a wave. I always wave and said hello back, you know. Yeah, yeah. I always am really self-conscious about my reaction to people that I know just look physically different because I don't want to be that person. But I also know that they look different. And so there's this like internal dialogue that happens with me where I want to wave and say hi and be friendly. But then I want to, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm only waving and saying hi to you because I know that you look different. And I'm afraid that if I don't wave and say hi, then I'm ignoring you. But then I also don't want to just make you feel like I'm only doing that because of your abnormality. And I know this is like probably totally, totally overthinking things in my brain. But again, when we're out in public, there's usually something that triggers that connection with a stranger. And it's not always a physical abnormality. Sometimes it's a tantruming child or, you know, in our case, an adoptive family where there's, you know, multiple races, obviously, like across, you know, sitting at the dinner table or, you know, something's happening that makes you like look up because otherwise we just pass, you know, hundreds of people every day without even thinking about that. So am I overthinking that or talking up my ledge? I think it's it's circumstantial. I think there's always, you know, a situation where it's not appropriate to say to wave. You know, you wouldn't if you wouldn't wave at a stranger in in a supermarket, you know, walking down the aisle, you wouldn't wave at somebody who just happens to look different. But if you are curious about you know, explaining to a child or understanding someone's difference. There's a way to approach it and ask a question or really just identify with that person without making it apparent that you're uncomfortable. It's, of course, a human nature thing to be uncomfortable with something that's different from what you're normally seeing. But there's definitely a way to ask and there's a way to interact with other people that it doesn't have to be a discomfort level, but it doesn't have to be where you wave at everybody because then you'd be the crazy person waving at everybody, you know? Right, right, Um, right, right. And I actually wrote, I co-authored a children's book kind of based off of this act of having the courage to be kind. It's actually called The Courage to Be Kind. The premise of the book is when a child sees someone in a grocery store or an adult sees someone at the park or, you know, in their day-to-day lives, and they have a question or they are uncomfortable, what can they do? How do they interact with that person without making themselves feel uncomfortable and without putting the person with the physical difference or the disability out, you know? And so the idea of the book is that there's a cur- there has to be a courage of, you know, to be kind. You wouldn't think about it, but there is a courage behind being kind to someone else. It seems like something that would be natural, but when you see someone who looks different in a store or in a, or in, you know, a public setting and you're uncomfortable, it takes that, you know, internal courage to be able to step out of your comfort zone and either say hello 
or just go about your business and not stare. That's the biggest thing is that staring makes both parties uncomfortable. And so it's okay to glance, but that elongated stare just signifies that you acknowledge their difference, but are not going to do anything about it. Hmm. What good words. And yeah, I'm, I'm just drinking in everything you're saying because we're parenting a child who doesn't have a physical difference, but has an intellectual difference. And so he Mm -hmm. is the child who stares or says something really inappropriate out loud, very loudly all the time in public. And 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 so people understand that, you know, from a child, especially whether or not they have, you know, an intellectual difference, people understand that children will say things and not mean it offensively, that it's just something that they say. But I think a lot of times it's like you said, it's the, you know, parental role of while you're with them, what do you do then? Right. And that's, and that's what I want to do well is be able to direct him to say, Hey, let's try that again, which we do all the time in our house every day in private, even when it's not about something so overtly public, but also, you know, what to then be able to introduce ourselves and, Mm -hmm. you know, interact with the person and, and kind of turn that like awkwardness into hopefully a friendly chat or at least an interaction so that everyone walks away feeling like and understanding what just happened. Right. So a great example for that would be in the book that we wrote, that my friend Jenny and I wrote, um, there's a scenario where there's a girl in the playground and she's digging in the sandbox and another little girl comes over who happens to have a syndrome called Apert syndrome. And that's a, syn- a craniofacial syndrome also that some that a lot of times the characteristics are physical with the hands and the face. And when a little girl who has Apert syndrome comes over to play, the main character goes to her, or, you know, the little girl says, can I play with you? And she says, no, you can't because your hands look different. And granted, not every child would re- respond that way. But in this case, she does. And she walks up to her mom and says, this little girl wants to play with me, but I don't know if she can. She looks different. And her mom says, you know, it looks like she just likes to play in the sand like you. Maybe you can build a moat together. And once they find that common ground, it's as if nothing, it's as if differences don't matter. And so kind of finding that similarity between people rather than, than the differences, it doesn't negate the fact that there are differences there that make us unique and that are special, but it, it brings a clarity and a connected vibe between people, you know, and children kind of feel like, okay, I can relate to them now because they're just like me. They just act differently or speak differently or have a different appearance. Yeah, that's totally the theme of this podcast is creating stories that help people find their intersections, their commonalities, so Mm -hmm. that the differences aren't as great. And so what a beautiful picture of being able to start that so young with kids and saying, hey, these are the differences, but here are where you guys love the same things or act the same way. Um, Here's where you're the same. And I think that's so it's such an important skill. It's, it's like a life skill. It's something we build in to our psyche and to how we view the world to, you know, focus in on the commonalities rather than the differences. And so I love that. I'm going to get on Amazon and order that book. ASAP. Oh, please do. <laughs> yeah. So tell me a little bit about Art of Compassion. So that's originally how I found you through summer. And can you just tell me a, a little bit about how that helps you live out this beautiful vision you have of kindness and compassion. Sure. So Art of Compassion has kind of been a platform for, it started out as a platform for me to share my story. 
with schools and communities and friends and family. And then it kind of just took off and I've shared other people's stories and their experiences and took their challenging days and what they go through that other people might look at and say, wow, I don't know how they get through such, you know, a challenge or I don't know how they do it every day and put a positive spin on it and really shine light on what makes us all unique and really, the, like you said, the connectedness that brings us all together, that we all have challenges, we all have hard days, and we all share that commonality. And I've kind of taken that to different schools. And I didn't get that idea on my own. A few years ago, I met a family who also lives in Chicago. And her, the mom's name is Carrie, and the daughter's name is uh, Mary Kate. And Mary Kate was born with Apert syndrome. She happens to be in the book that we wrote. And they have gone to different schools promoting kindness as well and really just advocating for Mary Kate and teaching children in different schools around the state and suburbs about what makes Mary Kate unique, but what makes her like everyone else. She loves to play. She loves to sing. She's you know, goes to school like everyone else. She has siblings just like anyone else. She's a sister. She's a daughter. And I thought to myself after seeing this, I could do that. I could go out. I could share my story and relate to other people. And that that would kind of be cathartic for me. I never really dealt with my past and my experiences. I just kind of dealt with it and grew up. And so this is a way for me to share my story and share my experiences and help others understand what it's like to be born with a craniofacial difference or any difference. And the book kind of came into it because my friend Jenny said, saw what I was doing. And she said to me, have you ever thought of writing a book? And I said, not really. <laughs> that wasn't really on my bucket list. Um, but we started thinking of ideas of how to portray my experiences and her experiences as a mom and what she would like her kids to know. And we put those two together and that's just carried on Art of Compassion even further and really blended both of our lives and infused schools with this love of kindness. And it's become more of a curriculum that schools are building into their school, into their general curriculum, where they're teaching kindness and they're implementing it into their, into their studies and into their things that they're doing every day. And so I've been able to express that throughout, which has been wonderful. That's so neat. So is this just happening in Chicago? Or have you been able to get this curriculum into the hands of schools kind of further reaching than that? So at this point, Art of Compassion isn't a curriculum. It's more of just a platform and a social media outlet. And I've gone, I've gone and, and spoken about, I've used, I kind of use Art of Compassion as a, as a platform to speak off of. So I use that as just a platform to build off of. And then I share my story and stories of other friends and families that I've met along the way, along with my book. The book has gotten all the way to Bulgaria to summer. <laughs> and it's gone to different countries and states. And it's really had major traction. And it's only been out for a year, which has been more than we could ever have asked for and hoped for. And our goal for that really was just to get the word out and to get the message out. Whether or not we were going to make you know, millions off of a book, we weren't expecting that and we're not expecting that. But we really just wanted this important, valuable message and lesson to be shared as far and as wide as it could be. I love the idea. And it, and it's a 
simple. The book is simple. The concept is simple. And a book can go anywhere. Like you said, it's all the way to summer mm-hmm. in Bulgaria, you know, Amazon ships everywhere. And even if teachers just had it as a resource in their classroom and just read it out mm-hmm. loud, you know, mm-hmm. frequently and often, and it became kind of the soundtrack of what these kids are learning. And it just became part of who their fabric of what they saw in their education and just the power of a teacher to be able to instill and plant these seeds is really beautiful. So I just love that. Absolutely. Has there been a time through your travels and, and talking to people about your story when you getting to know someone else's story has really shaped your perception or your paradigm or your worldview, kind of how you hope when people get to know you? The last two years, I've met so many different families in the craniofacial community, as well as outside of the craniofacial community, and there have been families that have just lightened my world. I mean, just to see other children and parents going through what I went through with the positivity and the proactiveness of sharing their story, which I didn't have that when I was a kid. There was no internet. There was no social media. So seeing all this amazing advocacy and different ends of the spectrum with Down syndrome and spina bifida and, and autism and all these different uh, cognitive differences and physical differences, it's really shaped the way that I see the future of inclusion and kindness. I really see it as being something that is not going to stop. And the first person that I met was Mary Kate, and she just blew me away. And her mom blew me away. The fact that they were able to stand up in front of hundreds of students and educators and share their story and share their message and their mission and their hopes. And then meeting my friend Lauren, who I hope will one day be on your podcast because she is amazing and her daughter Nora is amazing. And she started this wonderful organization called the Nora Project with her her husband. And she was watching her, you know, advocate for her daughter and watching her daughter succeed in ways that no one really expected and having her be viewed as Nora and not for what her differences are, but for the amazing abilities that she has and the, and the future that she holds, it just blows me away. And it makes me give hope to the future <laughs> that we're not going in this downward spiral, that there is a way up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And what a blessing to just be able to connect. Again, there's that commonality, even if your commonality is different types of craniofacial differences or physical differences. I feel like there's so much power in that community and that common shared story for whatever Mm -hmm. our thing is. But then on the flip side of that, it's so beautiful to realize that there's really no normal. You know, we're all right. Everyone's different. Everyone has some story and some background and some challenge. I was just saying to somebody the other day, you know, everyone has everyone has struggles and whether or not our struggles are the same, we can all relate to each other because we all deal with something every day, you know, and so that just should bond us together, that we should treat each other with kindness because you don't know what someone else is going through until you get to know them. Right. And we just, we have the opportunity to be each other's biggest cheerleaders. And Mm -hmm. I think so often our pride or our fear, we take channel all that energy and it turns into competitiveness and, you know, there's the whole mommy wars and all, you know, all of the things. And how much more powerful would it just be if we could just channel all that energy into picking each other up and encouraging each other and for sure 
finding all of the things that are the same. Besides the obvious, what would you say would be the most challenging part of having a physical abnormality? Have there been other things that maybe people don't always think of that are struggles? Well, I think that there's definitely the medical challenges of knowing what you have to go through in order to get to where you need to be. Um, I mean, in my lifetime, I had over a dozen surgeries, and that's huge for anyone to deal with. And so knowing that you have to go through that to get to where I am today, you know, you, you deal with anxiety, you deal with stress and, you know, just always being aware of where you've been and where you want to get to, I think is overwhelming in itself. And, you know, I, I'm a very, now a very strong, confident person, but it took a long time to get there. And I think just, I think the biggest struggle was being confident in my own beauty and knowing that it wasn't skin deep, that it didn't have to look like everyone else. And my beauty didn't compare to anyone else's. And my growth didn't compare to anyone else's. It didn't matter when I got to the next goal, as long as I got to that goal. Yeah, that's beautiful. And what a gift to be almost forced to wrestle with that beauty and your identity. Again, a struggle. So you know, something that you probably wouldn't necessarily wish on people, but do you ever feel like, gosh, I had, it was really a gift to be able to come to this conclusion where I understand what true beauty means? Absolutely. I think that I was definitely put on this earth for a reason to teach something to other people and to really understand something. And the fact that I'm able to do that and able to really understand that it doesn't matter what you look like and you know, I don't need a full face of makeup to feel confident and beautiful now because I know what it took to get here. And so now I feel comfortable in my own skin, which a lot of people never get to. And so I can share that with other people of how I've gotten to that point and what it really truly feels like. Yeah. Have you ever had a chance to work with like adolescent girls? Uh, in a few weeks, I'm speaking at a school about beauty, <laughs> about inner beauty and finding your inner beauty. And I was thinking about how I was going to really impact a group of teenagers and explain and how to really reach them and help them understand that you don't need to be a certain size, a certain shape, a certain color, a certain makeup brand wearer, whatever you want to call it. You know, you, you have that beauty within you and it might take years to find it and it might be a huge challenge and might throw you through the wind and really break you to your core. But when you get to that point, it's a beautiful awakening to really understand what true beauty feels like. Yeah, I have a 12-year-old daughter, and fortunately, she seems really comfortable in her own shoes, and she's pretty independent, and she's got a really strong spirit. But that's my kind of prayer and hope for her is that she would continue to get to know people and have role models in her life who are so solid in who they are, not because of, you know, their makeup or their outside beauty and that, you know, that they can, she can be confident in Mm -hmm. looking up to strong, beautiful women that are beautiful in every sense of the word and in all types of ways, because I don't want her to get out into the world and feel like I have to look a certain part or wear my hair a certain way, or, you know, she's got, curly hair, you know, I don't want her to hate her curly hair or, Mm -hmm, you know, wish for other things, you know, like the grass seems always greener on the other side, right? Like straight haired people, like the curly hair and vice versa. (laughs) And, um, and so I 
you know, what another great audience to speak to and just say, you know, I'm beautiful and you're beautiful. And it really has very little to do with what we can see when we look across the table at each other. I was part of Changing the Face of Beauty, which is another organization that you should definitely look into. It's wonderful. And they are big on advocating for differences in advertising and marketing. And that's huge. A lot of the ads that girls see are perfect cookie cutter models. And so for the longest time, I never saw anyone that looked like me in ads and stores in makeup departments. And so imagine walking into a store and trying to find someone who relatively looks somewhat like you to feel comfortable and say, you know what, they look great in that, or they are wearing that makeup excellently. I could do that too. And I can look great. And so I kind of had to, I had to find my own beauty without the help of magazines and, and media. And now you're probably having so much better off for, (laughs) for sure, for sure. But now it's becoming more apparent that it's a necessary need to have differences in in marketing and advertising and have bigger models and, you know, models with facial differences and models who are in a wheelchair or have, you know, a limb difference because there are people out there that have those things that shop in those stores and want to be seen and want to be valued. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what an opportunity those industries have to really shape the paradigm of the American people and really the world mm-hmm. if we start shaking up kind of what that what beauty means, you know. Oh absolutely. So that it's, it's not time. all airbrushed <laughs> and everyone's not the right same size and doesn't have a tan and all of those things. Absolutely. Um, I think that's such a great vision. What would you say to a family who is raising a child maybe a young child. So they haven't walked as far down the path as you have. And they're just starting to wrap their minds around what this is going to be to help guide this little person through the world with a very obvious physical difference. What do you wish your parents had known or what would you, what are the words that you would want to impart um, parents who are walking this journey? Well, I think for one, I would say the world is not kind, unfortunately. But it's getting kinder. And with that, there are people and communities that will be there to lift that family up and show them what beauty and amazingness and possibilities are out there for their child and for them. And I think, I really, really think that the use of social media now is huge. I know my mom always says that, you know, that would have been huge for her to have that community And have that bond between mothers and families to know that there are other people out there that are dealing with the same thing or similar things and similar challenges and that they're getting through it, even as hard as they are, and that their children are going to grow up to be hopefully leaders. And if they're not leaders, that's okay too. But they're going to be grounded, welcoming, kind people because that's what they're going to learn from others. They're going to learn how not to be, and they're also going to learn what it feels like to be the kind, compassionate, caring warrior child that they are capable of. Great words. Um, I know there's probably a lot of parents out there who are just coming into this and just overwhelmed and thinking, gosh, how are we going to do this? And so it's Mm -hmm. so great to have social media and be able to connect to other people and 
say, what should we be doing? What has helped you talk to me about your wisdom and your experience? And right. And and your mom needed Able Finder, right? She needed Summer's really cool project right. to right. connect with a community who could help her feel like she wasn't alone, for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's hard when when you feel like you're when you feel like you're alone, but also when you when you get those people who don't get it and aren't kind, it makes you kind of second guess society and just to be aware that not everyone's like that. And you will find people who are accepting. You will find people who are inclusive and caring and wonderful and understanding and open. That that's not that's, that's not the society that we live in anymore. It's changing. And slowly, very, very slowly, but it's changing, which is, you know, hopeful. For sure. Well, so when I wrap up, I usually ask the same two questions, or I have been for the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. talking about social media and that just image of what we're all doing or what we could be doing or what other people might look like, at least in front of their Instagram accounts. Um, I've been really passionate for the past couple months about talking to people about what they're not doing just as a way to push back, oh, I love against, <laughs> push back against all the social media because I myself feel drawn in by that. You know, I like to get on Pinterest mm-hmm. and Instagram and I do it to like relax, quote unquote, which is silly, but I find myself walking away from it just feeling like a failure. So I've been talking a lot on social media and with my friends just about what we're not doing. So mm-hmm. what are you not doing? Oh, my gosh. Let me run down the list. <laughs> Definitely, I'm not keeping myself together all the time. I think a lot of times from Facebook and Instagram, everything looks great. And I look strong and put together and like I've got it all. And, you know, I've, I've got my stuff together and my mind's all straight. And that is not how it is. <laughs> And I think that that is, you know, such a false advertisement. <laughs> and so I definitely am not scheduling my time well and need to make more time for relaxing. <laughs> yeah, I was, I think actually I was talking to Summer about this, about how I've actually, because I love my calendar so much and I'm so to-do list driven, I've actually had to schedule, not just have my to-do list, but I've actually had to schedule when I'm going to do each of the tasks into my day, because then it gives me a better idea of how much I can really fit in when I have to like find minutes for those tasks. But I've also been forcing myself to schedule like shower, eat, yeah, right, read a book. There's a a joke or or a meme that says, you know, some people have their ducks in a row. I'm a squirrel at a rave. And I really like feel like that's my life. <laughs> I'm a squirrel <laughs> at a rave. Like my, everything's all over the place. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I feel that. Like, yeah, like you're running around like with your hair on fire. Yeah. Right. Not planning <laughs> right. anything. Right. For sure. Well, with that, since you're not having all your ducks in a row, do you have a current <laughs> life hack that's kind of keeping you at least a little bit of sane that you are? Hmm. Life hack. I actually just got into essential oils, which has been a huge turnaround for me. It just kind of eases stress. I didn't think I was going to buy into it. And I started trying it and I was trying different things to see, you know, yoga wasn't working and sleeping wasn't working. So I'm trying those essential oils and doing some different combinations and finding that that is just, that's the trick for me. (laughs) 
Good. I love that. You're speaking my love language. I, <laughs> I fell down the essential oil rabbit hole about four years ago. And I, I was with you. I was a little bit reticent and a lot skeptical. But yeah, I mean, when you find something that works, you just you gotta love it. Do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, that's like my other part of my job is I just tell people about essential oils and I sell them and teach about them. And I just, I'm one of those people that if, once I find something I love, I'm all in a hundred percent. And I love these essential oils. <laughs> yeah. So that's amazing. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Well, do you have any other closing words that you want to impart on folks that are listening before we wrap up? Just to be kind, you know, be kind to yourself, be kind to other people and try to make the world a better place. Yeah. So simple, but yet so powerful. (laughs) Well, Rena, thanks so much for taking a little bit of time out of your hectic, busy days. And I'm really so honored to hear your story. And it just gives me a lot to think about. And it, again, it warms my heart to know that there's just people out there catching a vision and just running with it and making a difference in their little corner of the world and seeing that ripple effect and seeing it spread because clearly you've hit a nerve. I mean, the book is taking off and people are hearing your story all around the world. And I, you know, I heard about you from someone in Bulgaria, so that's amazing. (laughs) And again, like I said, keep up the good work. It's just, it's such good work and we all need more kindness. So thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Wow. Just like so many of my other guests, I'm so inspired by Rena's strength and bravery and beauty. As we were talking, I was just praying for a world that understands beauty in the way Rena describes it, and where even our media and advertising celebrate uniqueness instead of such a boxed-in view of physical beauty. As we were chatting, we mentioned our friend Summer's project, AbleFinder. This is a really cool new chatbot tool that is helping to bring individuals and families dealing with a variety of disabilities out of isolation and into the community. I'd love if you could check it out and share it with anyone who you think could benefit from it. Just search for AbleFinder on Facebook and click the message button to get started. Just in case you can't grab them right now, I'll have links to AbleFinder's Facebook page, Art of Compassion's Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash artocompassion, where you can reach out to Rena. links to some of the other awesome organizations Rena mentioned, such as The Nora Project and Changing the Face of Beauty. Plus, I have Rena and Jenny's children's book linked on the show notes page as well, The Courage to Be Kind. I have a copy of the book on my Kindle, but I just ordered a physical copy because it's really awesome and I really just want it in the hands of my son and his therapist. As always, the show notes page can be found at my blog, thecorkums.com. I love hearing how the stories you hear on the show are impacting you. Feel free to reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at macorkum. Or better yet, head to the show's page on iTunes or Stitcher and leave your rating and comment there. Thanks so much for joining us each week and I'll see you next time.